Ariana Grande being sued for posting photos of herself on Instagram. DJI unveils the Osmo Action to rival the GoPro. Adobe adds a texture control slider to Lightroom and Camera Raw. And Nikon finally releases their firmware, which gives their Z6 and Z7 cameras iDetect autofocus. All this and more on episode 20 of the Liam Photography Podcast. Welcome to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 20. I want to thank all the listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes and any other software that you might be using to listen to this podcast. We appreciate you all so much and appreciate you listening every week to our new episodes, whether they're just camera news or interviews. We appreciate you all so much. Be sure to stop by the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group and join so you can stay up on the know, and you're also welcome to post your own photos there. Make sure that they are photos that you took yourself. Do not steal other people's photos and post them to the group, or you will be banned. Everyone is free to join the group. The only requirement is that you answer a simple question, which is the name of the host of this podcast, which is myself, Liam. And I do that to keep the bots and spammers and advertisers and all that other garbage out of the group so that people can enjoy it more. All right, so let's get on with episode 20 of the Liam Photography Podcast. Ariana Grande is being sued for posting photos of herself on Instagram. So if you know anything about a little bit of the history with Ariana Grande, she's a a pop star, I guess, uh, here in the U.S. I don't know a whole lot about her. Um, <laughs> I only listened to 80s music myself. That was the era I grew up in. But she made headlines a couple of months ago for striking back at what she called greedy photographers with a concert tour photo contract that demands that she retains full copyright for any photos taken of her at any of her shows and concerts. But now... The singer is being sued by a photographer for posting his photos of her without permission on Instagram. So apparently back in August of 2018, the 25-year-old Grande posted side-by-side photos of herself leaving a building while holding a bag displaying the word sweetener, which apparently was the name of her fourth studio album. The caption read, Happy Sweetener Day. But it turns out those photos were shot by New York-based paparazzi photographer Robert Barbara, who says Grande never asked for or received his permission to publish the shots. Barbara just filed a copyright infringement lawsuit against Grande yesterday in the U.S. District Court for the Southern District, District of New York. Barbara is the author of the photographs and has at all times been the sole owner of all right, title, and interest in and to the photographs, including the copyright thereto, the lawsuit states. Grande infringed on his copyright in the photographs by reproducing and publicly displaying the photographs on her Instagram page. And apparently it's kind of a big deal because I guess she has like 154 million followers just on Instagram. 
uh, says Grande is not and has never been licensed or otherwise authorized to reproduce, publicly display, distribute, or use his photographs. The photographer is demanding either $25,000 for each of the photos or profits Grande generated from posting it to her 154 million plus followers on Instagram. The post has racked up at least 3,392,000 likes prior to it being taken down, and this is according to the lawsuit. So it'll be interesting to see how this one plays out in the courts. I'm sure they'll probably reach some sort of settlement agreement. A lot of times that's what happens with these kind of cases. Um, but it is interesting that, you know, and like I said, I don't know a whole lot about her and I'm not, and I'm not trying to bash her or anything, but I mean, I'm sorry, but to me, she's got one heck of an ego thinking that anybody that takes photographs of her at any of her shows or concerts is just going to forfeit all rights to their photos to her and she can do whatever she wants with them. And people have talked about this on other podcasts and YouTube videos, and I agree with what a lot of them say, just don't sign the release. It's as simple as that. Um, you'd be crazy to give up your rights to your own work. And as somebody who is an artist herself, I think it's kind of ridiculous for her to expect other artists to surrender their copyrighted works to her um, just because she's a musician. Uh, I just think that's totally out of whack, and she's definitely off the rails with that, with that whole uh, concert con photography contract that she's trying to force on, on everybody at all of her shows nowadays. Uh, the girl's got one heck of an ego, <laughs> if you ask me. But like I said, that's the latest news on the the situation with her, and it's like I said, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. But I, I'm assuming that more than likely they'll reach some sort of settlement agreement outside of court. Uh, I mean, it's possible it could go through the entire court process. But, you know, usually people like this uh, in cases like this, they usually settle them out of court. So I imagine that's probably what's going to happen in this case. So the next episode or item I wanted to talk about on this episode is DJI unveils the Osmo action camera to rival the GoPro. So if you know anything about action cameras, you know, of course, GoPro is not the only company that makes them, but they've been pretty much the top dog ever since they came on the scene. They started the action camera craze. Um, and the gentleman that founded uh, GoPro uh, was a surfer himself, and he kind of Put together what he did originally was he bought these inexpensive chinese cameras and then he created his own waterproof housings for them and wrist straps and he sold them to other surfers up and down the california coast and that's how his company got started and so he was the first one to create the action camera and the action camera craze and then of course other people have gotten involved sony's got their line other companies have done action cameras there's a lot of chinese knockoffs to the gopro that use the same mounts and everything um but gopro has always been the top dog and this is really interesting because dji of course is the top name in drones and drone photography and cinematography uh, their drones are used by hollywood for a lot of movies and tv shows because it's a lot cheaper than hiring uh crane trucks um, and happen to pay $80,000, $90,000 a day for a camera truck to follow uh, uh, a hero car down streets and stuff like that and shoot the footage from the crane or boom or whatever it is on the truck and stuff like that. So a lot of, a lot of studios have gone using DJI's drones for those kind of uh, shots. 
uh, to much success, and it saves the studio a ton of money because, like I said, the old way with using those boom trucks, you paid eighty, ninety thousand dollars a day to rent those trucks, and then of course you had to pay the driver and the camera operator that was in the boom and all that stuff. And nowadays they can go out and buy, you know, two or three of the DJI um, Oz um, um, Inspire. I think it's the Inspire One drones, um, which are the uh, the commercial grade drones the DJI makes. And, um, you, you know, a studio can buy three, four or five of those. I mean, yeah, they're not cheap. They're three to 5,000 a piece, but when you're a multi-billion dollar studio, that's chicken feed, you know, and you can buy four or five of those drones and use them over and over and over again. And you're still saving a ton of money versus, you know, renting one of those boom trucks and, you know, hiring a driver and a boom operator and all that stuff. And the nice thing about the commercial DJI drones is they can actually be set up and controlled with two radio controllers at the same time. So you can have two people um, working each one of the drones. You can have a person that's the pilot flying the drone and a separate person who's the camera operator using the the uh, sister remote. And um, so, and and it's like I said, it saves the studios a lot of money. But anyways, I'm getting off track here. So anyways, DJI has announced the Osmo Action Camera, which is a new product that they're just coming onto the market with. And GoPro tried to rival DJI's drones back in 2016. I'm sure you might be aware by launching the, the DJI uh, Karma, but I mean, I'm sorry, the GoPro Karma, uh, but it wasn't a very good drone and, and they ended up having to recall them all because they had a lot of issues. They ended up discontinuing the entire uh, Karma drone line in less than two years. So now DJI has decided they're going to return the favor by releasing their own action camera. And the thing that's interesting is it looks like it does take a similar mount to the GoPro, if not um, the same kind of mounting system. So I don't know if there's any kind of copyright infringement there. I wouldn't think so. Uh, I don't know for sure, but like I said, there's a lot of Chinese companies that, that make their own action cameras that are very similar to the GoPro, and the mounts are exactly the same. But then again, China doesn't honor anybody else's intellectual property or trademarks or patents or anything like that. So that's probably how they've been getting away with it. But um, the thing that's interesting about the Osmo action camera is the fact that it has two screens. So the GoPro, in a way, has two screens. It has a touch screen on the back, which you can preview your footage um, as you're shooting it or your stills. You can swipe it to go through the menu, the preferences, and all that good stuff. But on the GoPro, and I have a few of the GoPros, the screen on the front is a plain black LCD screen, and it generally just shows you what mode you're in, um, how many minutes of battery life you have left, uh, how many shots you have left if you're doing stills versus videos, how, you know, how many minutes of video record time you have left, stuff like that. But the difference with this Osmo Action is the screen on the front is a full-color selfie screen. So if you're into using action cameras, you can set up your shots, frame your shots a lot better with the Osmo action camera because the fact that it has a selfie screen on, on the front of it, it's full color instead of just the black LCD screen that the GoPro has. So it's definitely gonna, gonna shake up the market quite a bit. And just like the Hero 7, 
the Osmo Action does have built-in stabilization. And I was, uh, my girlfriend and I uh, were watching Kai Wan's uh, video about this camera the other day. I think it was yesterday or the day before on, on his YouTube channel. And he demonstrated the built-in stabilization and it does work really, really well. Uh, and in many cases, it actually did a better job of stabilizing than the, the built-in stabilization of the Hero 7 Black. So it's definitely going to shake up the action camera world. And the other thing that's interesting is the retail price for the Osmo Action is $349. So they're even selling their camera for 50 bucks less than the GoPro 7 Black goes for. Although um, GoPro has done sales on the 7 Black where you can get a, get a better price on it and stuff like that. You can save some money um, at various times. You can get a you can get a, a coupon code from them that's good for like 10 days that you can use on their web store and save 100 bucks off the price. So, But it's definitely going to be interesting now that uh, DJI has decided to get into the action camera market. And, you know, I honestly think they did it to as kind of a slapback to... Uh, to GoPro for trying to get into their uh, market with the with their failed drone, and you know, in the last few years that you know that just fizzled out real real miserably, and of course DJI still dominates the drone market, and I don't think there's going to be any kind of co serious competition for them anytime soon. There's a couple other companies that make okay drones, uh, other Chinese companies because DJI is a Chinese company. Um, and their drones are so-so, but uh, you just don't see people snatching them up like you do the, the DJI Phantom line, especially, and the Inspire line. Um, those things just sell like hotcakes. It's, it's crazy how popular their drones are. But, it, oh yeah, and looking, I'm scrolling down the, uh, the article about the uh, Osmo Action, and it does use the exact same mounting system as the GoPro, so that's definitely interesting right there. Um, I, like I said, I don't know if GoPro has that mount um, copyrighted or trademarked or patented or whatever you want to call it, but uh, apparently not. Uh, now, the Osmo Action is slated to hit store shelves on May 22nd, so the, this new uh, action camera, I'm sorry, not drone, this new action camera will be out soon. Um, it is capable of shooting at 1080p, 30 frames a second. It has dual microphones, a speaker, slow motion, 8x at 1080p, 240 frames per second, or 4x at 1080p at 120 frames per second. It does time lapse, manual exposure, and it has, you know, like uh, like I was saying a minute ago, it has compatibility with a large ecosystem of accessories because it uses a lot of the same third-party accessories as the the actual GoPro. So it's definitely going to make things interesting. Um, it can shoot. 4K at 60 frames a second, just like the uh, the GoPros can. So it's definitely going to create some turbulence. I have a feeling in the uh, action camera market. Now I I've got some I got this information on this action camera not only from Kai's video but also from an article on Petapixel.com, and I will make sure that I include the article uh, the Petapixel article in the show notes for this episode so that you can check out the demonstration videos that are there. Uh, from DJI's uh, YouTube channel. And you can check this out for yourself. It's definitely uh, an interesting little camera. It's a great little action camera. It's fully waterproof and everything um, without a special housing like the newer uh, GoPros are. So I think it's really going to shake up the action camera market. And it's going to be interesting to see 
um, exactly what this means for GoPro, because if, if you know anything about GoPro, they've been kind of, the company's been kind of dying the last uh, few years, uh, just with some of the crazy stuff the, the founder and CEO of the company has done financially and some other things he's done. Uh, their, their stocks took a huge hit and uh, they haven't been doing a very good job at recovering. So uh, with this new challenger, uh, with this new camera from DJI, it might be uh, sounding the death bell for GoPro. I guess we'll have to wait and see. All right, the next uh, object or item I wanted to get to in this episode. Now, Adobe recently uh, updated Lightroom. And if you didn't already know, um, one of the things with Lightroom more recently, since they've gone to their Creative Cloud subscription licensing for all of their software, Adobe that is, uh, Adobe made things kind of confusing because they came out with a cloud-only version of Lightroom that you can still run on your machine, but it has to be constantly tied to the internet because it's a cloud-based version of Lightroom. And they decided to name that one Adobe Lightroom CC. And the standalone software, which now also has a subscription, um, you can't get a, a permanent license key like you could in the old days, they called that version Adobe Lightroom Classic CC. And it was extremely confusing for everybody because both of them had Lightroom CC in their name. So people would get mixed up on which one was the cloud-only version, which one was the desktop version that they were used to using when, you know, when Adobe did the whole CS line, uh, Creative Suites, you know, one through six and so on and so forth. Well, with their most recent update, Adobe has decided to rename Lightroom again. So now, from what I can see, they're calling the cloud-only version of Lightroom Adobe Lightroom. And the standalone program that runs on your desk but still has to talk to the internet to verify you have a license at least um, is now called Lightroom Classic. So... I don't know if that's going to help people a whole lot as far as the confusion and the, with the similar naming. I'm not sure if that's going to help or, or if it's going to be just as confusing for a lot of people as it was when it was Lightroom CC and Lightroom Classic CC. Um, but they did make that name change recently. And the new update, uh, I think it's 8.3, also introduces a new slider, control slider, in the develop module for both Lightroom and Camera Raw called the texture control. And this slider is really cool. I've actually played around with it a little bit. Uh, the nice thing about this is you can give more emphasis to textures in your images. Um, you can raise the texture, the, the quality of the texture, or you can take some of it away. In other words, you can, you can, you can modify the intensity of textures in your photos whether it's foliage in a landscape shot or uh, let's say uh, the details and the tires on a race car that you photographed at a NASCAR or Formula One race or something like that. And you can also use it with portraits, um, although I would suggest going very, very easy with using this in portraits or you're going to end up with some really weird stuff going on, in my opinion anyways. I mean, I, I've seen and other photographers have talked about seeing, you know, people over-process their photos and uh that you know especially their portraits and the people end up looking like they're made out of plastic instead of being an actual you know flesh and blood human being 
Um, but this texture slider is definitely interesting and, it, and it's nice to have. It's a, you know, a new item for the develop module and uh, loop deck. If you have a loop deck plus um, editing keyboard like I do, they just recently released an update for the new version of Lightroom, their uh, loop deck setup software. Uh, they originally released version 2.6.2 yesterday. Uh, which was supposed to be for the new Lightroom and, and give you the ability to control the texture slider with one of the dials on the Loop Deck Plus keyboard. Uh, but they made a mistake um, that they didn't catch in quality control of their code. Um, so I installed uh, the new version of the Loop Deck software and all of a sudden I didn't have support at all for Lightroom anymore. And it was because when Loop Deck released their update, they forgot about the fact that Adobe had changed the names on Lightroom, and so their software wasn't looking for the new folder name on Mac or Windows, it was looking for the old folder name, so since it wasn't finding the folder, it just didn't give you the option to use the, the editing keyboard with Lightroom at all. And I uh, made Loop Deck aware of that on their Facebook page, and they were kind enough to uh, release an update this morning, 2.6.3, which fixes the issue in Mac, but as of the time I'm recording this podcast, they have not released 2.6.3 for Windows yet. I can only assume they're still working on it. So if you do have a Loop Deck Plus editing keyboard, you can update to 2.6.3, which will give you all of your functionality for the latest updated version of Lightroom uh, 8.3, and you'll have the ability to control the new texture slider with that editing keyboard. And... Uh, You'll be, a, you'll be a happy editor again. But uh, so the texture shares similarities with existing controls. The non-destructive tool ranges from minus to plus 100, minus 100 to plus 100. Um, and it's somewhat between positive clarity and sharpening. And on the negative end, it's something like noise reduction. So it's, it's similar to those other tools, but gives you more control. Uh, the sharpening works on the high-frequency, quote-unquote, high-frequency areas of a photograph, uh, the edges and fine details. Texture targets the mid-frequency areas. Um, so, like I said, if you have a landscape photo in which you'd like more definition and some shrubs, uh, jacking up sharpening all the way causes noise in the photo to overwhelm the extra detail that you get. But if you turn up texture all the way, Certain details are enhanced while noise is largely unaffected. So that is definitely a bit of a game changer for those of us that are using Lightroom. Um, and I will post a link to the article about uh, the texture slider, uh, also from Petapixel, where you can see some demonstrations uh, that Lightroom or Adobe has released with this, uh, where you can see the before and after with using the... Uh, the uh, texture slider in portraits, landscapes, and, and things like that. And it's really cool. Uh, there's also a uh, testing out the new Adobe Lightroom slider texture video um, at the bottom of that article. So you can, you can play back that video and watch that as well. And I think that that's pretty cool and something that a lot of people are, are probably going to enjoy in their editing uh, especially, if, like I said, if you're a Lightroom user, which a lot of people are, Lightroom's still one of the most popular, if not the most popular, um, editing, photo editing software on the market. Uh, there are some other really good ones out there, Luminar, uh, especially with version 3 of Luminar, and I think they just updated the 3.1 yesterday. 
Uh, they added libraries and some other features that you have in Lightroom. As a matter of fact, Luminar is kind of cool because in many ways it's like a combination of Lightroom and Photoshop because unlike Lightroom, in Luminar, you can do layers and stuff like that, um, where on the Adobe side, you have to go take your photo from Lightroom to Photoshop to do layers and then save it back into Lightroom. So that is definitely uh, definitely some new and interesting things for, for everybody using uh, Lightroom. And I think uh, you'll enjoy the texture slider. I know I have. I've only played around with it a little bit, but I think it's it's really, really cool. Now, the last item I wanted to talk about in this episode is Nikon has officially released the firmware update for their Z6 and Z7 mirrorless full-frame cameras, which now give those two cameras the ability to have eye detect autofocus. And it's okay. Uh, Jared Poland uh, released a video to his YouTube this morning on how well it works, and he compared it to Sony and Canon by using the three cameras set up side by side on tripods with uh, Atomos recorders tied into them so you could see exactly what's going on directly through the viewfinder of the camera. And he recorded it. He did a great job of this video. The, the big takeaways are that Nikon's eye detect autofocus, it works fairly decent. It's nowhere near as good as Sony's, of course, and, and neither is Canon's for that matter on the EOS R. Um, but it, it works halfway decent. Uh, the autofocus system does tend to get confused um, if a person, you know, turns away from the camera so that the eye detect autofocus can no longer track their eyes or they move out of the frame and come back. And you can see all this in Jared's video. Uh, I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. Jared does a great job of, of demonstrating um, or, or of showing his viewers how the eye detect autofocus works and how it stacks up to Sony and Canon's. Uh, but it does... If the person moves out of the frame and then back into the frame, the uh, autofocus system will sometimes get confused and it'll stay locked on an object that's in the background and not go back to the person when they come back into the frame. Um, it does work from a greater distance away from the camera than Canon's currently does. Uh, Sony still works by far for much further away from the camera than anybody else's, of course, because Sony's had the technology for a lot longer. So, of course, theirs is more ironed out and more perfected. But this is a really, really good start to the eye detect autofocus for Nikon. So, they, you know, they finally got into the party. They got there later than everybody else, but they did get to the party. And their first version of eye detect autofocus does work halfway decent. And um, I can only expect that they're going to make massive improvements to it. As time goes forward, you know, with new firmware updates uh, down the road, I'm sure both Canon and Nikon will make massive improvements to their eye detect autofocus. Uh, the new firmware version is 2.0, just so that you know that. You can go over to Nikon's support site on Nikon USA website and download the update. Now, the Nikon, um, just like the Canons, it's really quick and easy to do a firmware update. You download the firmware file for your camera model, whether it's the 6 or the 7, and you just copy the file into the root of your SD card, pop the SD card into the camera, go through the menu to the firmware section in the menu, tell it that you want to update to a new firmware. It'll check the SD card. It'll see the new file. It'll say, this is the version you have. Is this the version you're going to go to? You confirm, and, and it does the install. 
which is the same way Canon does things. I've never done a firmware update on a Sony, but I know uh, from uh, Jared talking about it in his video and, and Tony uh, Northrup as well talking about it in videos, I guess on Sony cameras, a firmware update is a real bear. It can be extremely difficult to pull off uh, just because they don't have a straightforward, simple and easy way to do it like Canon and Nikon do. So Canon and Nikon definitely have the leg up on Sony when it comes to implementing firmware updates. Now, in addition to adding eye detection to the AF for detecting and tracking subjects' eyes, the cameras are also getting improved autofocus performance in low light from minus 1 EV to minus 2 EV in the Z7, minus 2 EV to minus 3.5 EV on the Z6, and minus 4 EV to minus 6 EV on the Z6 in low light AF mode. Now, one of the catches and on the Nikon with using the eye detect autofocus is you have to have area autofocus turned on. So in other words, unlike the Canon and the Sony, you can't use a single AF point and eye detect autofocus together. Uh, Nikon does not allow that. You have to have all autofocus points enabled in order to be able to um, enable the eye detect autofocus, which I think is kind of a crappy way to, to deploy it. But like I said, it's a start. And one can only assume that in a future version of the firmware, they'll give you more control uh, with being able to use a single point autofocus point and still use the eye detect autofocus at the same time. We'll have to wait and see if that does flesh out that way in a future version. Uh, the eye detect AF for still photography is highly anticipated feature that detects and focuses on human eyes in both AFS and AFC using the auto area AF mode only. When the eyes of multiple subjects are detected, the multi-selector or sub-selector can be used to select the eye upon which the camera should focus. This is coming from Nikon. This enables precise focus on the eye of the intended individual, even when looking through the electronic viewfinder. Now, one thing that you will see in Jared Poland, AKA Frono's photos uh, video, is uh, that the eye detect autofocus box on the Nikon is a bit larger than it is on the Sony. And uh, when Canon did their firmware update, their last one, uh, going to, uh, I think it was 1.2.0 from 1.1.0, um, Canon actually gave you the option to have smaller autofocus boxes. You could have the normal size, which was larger, and then a smaller size, which is what I prefer. On the Nikons, you can't do that. Their autofocus boxes are a bit bigger. And uh, according to Jared's testing in his video, one of the downsides of that is the eye detect autofocus will frequently lock on to the subject's eyelashes instead of their eye. Um, so they do still have some, some bugs and issues that they've got to flesh out in that. But I'm sure, you know, in a future firmware update, it's, it's going to be, you know, they're good, they'll get things more ironed out, just like Canon will. And it's not going to be too long before Nikon and so, uh, Canon will be able to give Sony a real run for their money on the eye detect autofocus side. We'll have to wait and see. Uh, like I said, right now, Sony is the king when it comes to that. But... The other two are actually in the party now, and so is Fuji. Fuji does have uh, eye detect autofocus as well on some of their cameras. So it's definitely going to be interesting to see how this goes, you know, how things go moving forward. But it definitely makes things a lot greater for all of those of us who enjoy photography, whether you're doing it as a hobby or as a paid professional. 
uh, the more useful technology and tools you can have in your camera, the better it is for everybody, right? I did have one other item I wanted to talk about on this week's episode, and it almost completely slipped my mind. Um, and it is a little bit exciting. Uh, Janice and I, as I was out doing my real estate photography, and we were riding in the car today. We were watching the uh, YouTube video for Tony and Chelsea Northrop's live show that they do every Thursday at 4 p.m. on YouTube. And they were critiquing landscape photography this week. And I had actually submitted one of my photographs that I shot back in 2014 of sunrise on Tybee Island, Georgia, with the sun coming up over the Atlantic Ocean. And the photo has been really popular on Getty Images. I've sold about 800 copies of it in the last couple of years, um, which I'm, I'm pretty proud of. And I was really stoked that they actually chose my photo as one of the ones that they critiqued on their YouTube channel today. So I'll also put the link in the show notes to the uh, segment of their video where they're looking at my photograph and talking about it. And uh, my listeners can check it out for themselves. All right. So that is all I wanted to talk about in this episode of the podcast, the Liam Photography Podcast, episode 20. I want to thank all of my listeners again for subscribing, rating, and reviewing in iTunes or wherever else you may be listening to us from. And that includes Spotify. And I will see you next time in episode 21.